The time was December 1986. The setting was my living room of my parents at Brick House in Leroy, Illinois. A Christmas tree was lit with colored vintage 80s bulbs and my brother and I were watching Saturday morning cartoons and then this commercial came on TV. My pet monster. He's bigger than big. When he fights battles, he always wins. And he's your friend too. He breaks his chains. Put him on you and break away too. With my pet monster, you're busting loose. He's big. And scary. And helps people too. And he's your friend too. My pet monster plays all day. Tough. Awesome. Looking great. And all your friends will want him for their friend too. Monster has breakaway chains from Amtoy and American Greetings Company. When I was growing up, that is what I wanted. My pet monster. And who wouldn't with that kind of high quality graphics from that commercial? Uh, I dropped hints everywhere. I wrote letters to Santa. I cut out pictures in magazines. I put them on my mom's pillow. I even tried hard to be nice to my brother and sister throughout Christmas vacation, which was extremely hard to do. And when Christmas morning finally came, I jumped out of bed, ran to the tree, found the biggest gift I could find and unwrapped it. And there it was my own, my pet monster. And it was three years later that my family packed up all of our belongings. We were only allowed a few toys and we moved from Illinois to California, and you can bet that my pet monster made the journey as well. Uh, go back in time. What was it for you? Uh, what was that gift that you were waiting for, that you had longed for? Was it a Super Nintendo? Was it a new bicycle? Was it a Cabbage Patch doll? Was it an Atari? Or perhaps, a puppy or a kitten. What was that one toy that you were waiting for? Now, if you are watching this with family or friends right now, just pause uh, the screen and discuss what that one toy was for you. Go ahead. When I first saw my pet monster commercial in 1986, I was waiting for the day that he would be mine. Every day, waiting and waiting. My question for you this Christmas is, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for a raise? Are you waiting for a spouse? Are you waiting around for a child to turn things around? Are you waiting on God to do something big? What are you waiting for? We said this past Sunday that we are shaped by what we're waiting for. I believe that's true. I believe that that's one of the messages God has for us this Christmas season. What are we waiting for? And I wanna let you know that we're all waiting on something. 2,000 years ago, the Jewish people were waiting for a long time for the promised Messiah. And Matthew starts off his gospel, starts off the Christmas story this way. Matthew chapter one, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, and then it goes on and on for another 12 verses just like that, name after name. And then finally we get to the end of verse 15, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. The word of the Lord. God bless you. Have a Merry Christmas. Why would Matthew start out his gospel in this manner, right? It's boring. A bunch of names? 
so-and-so begat so-and-so. I don't even know who these people are. Like, it's boring, okay? Matthew seems to not know the first thing about engaging his audience because he starts the gospel with the genealogy, the son of David, then lists a bunch of dudes, including several women, which was so uncommon and so radical in that time period. And he ends it with Jesus, the son of David. I contend that Matthew is not being boring here. He's actually genius. You see, the name David in Hebrew is significant in many ways. And for one, the number of his name is 14. Now, I realize that that might take some explaining. Uh, a couple months ago, we did a sermon series um, on binge reading the Bible. We looked at the book of Revelation, and we looked at this concept called gematria. And it is a, an ancient concept uh, where each Hebrew consonant has a numerical value. And so someone's number can be their name. And so uh, let's try a simple example in English, okay? The A is the first letter on the alphabet, so it's a one. B is the second, it's a two, and three, and so on and so on. The word cab in English would be three plus one plus two, which would give us the numerical value of six. Okay, this is gematria, and it was a common practice in first century Palestine during the time of Jesus. Back to Matthew 1. In Hebrew, the, the number of David's name is 14. Uh, why do I show you this? Because take another look at Matthew's genealogy. You're bored, right? It's just a list of names. What a brutal way to begin a book, unless you count how many names there are. What you'll quickly notice is that the names are actually grouped, and they're grouped in two groups of 14. Why is this significant? Because Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience, an audience who've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the son of David to appear and save them. And everyone knew that David's name was 14. So right out of the gate, the intentional groupings would have been shouting, 14, 14, 14, David, David, David. Matthew's audience would be riveted. The text continues, verse 17, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. David, 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 14, 14, 14. Why does Matthew do this? Because he is telling us that this is the person you've been waiting for. This is the king, this is the Messiah. All of their deepest longings, what they've been waiting for all these years, the moment has come, the savior will be born, the son of David and he shall be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And just like the nation of Israel, Jesus is what you've been waiting for. Jesus is what I've been waiting for, whether we know it or not. I read about a man who decided to send out 600 Christmas cards to complete strangers. He found some telephone directories and a bunch of cities across the country, addressed 600 cards to people he had never met, put his return address envelopes, and then he sent them off. Uh, amazingly, he received 117 responses from total strangers. One lady wrote, it was so good to hear from you. Your car arrived the day I got home from the hospital, and I can't tell you what an encouragement it was to hear from an old friend. Another wrote, I have to admit that when we received your card, we couldn't really picture you. We had to think hard for a long time before we remembered. By the way, please give our regards to your father. He is such a wonderful man. But I think this last one took the cake. One guy wrote, it was so good to hear from you after all these years. 
By the way, we're going to be near your house next summer. Would it be all right if we came and spent a few days with you? Wow, you gotta be careful who you send your Christmas cards to, don't you? These strangers reaching out, longing for relationship, longing for connection, waiting, waiting. On the show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? They took a poll uh, of eight to 12 year olds and they asked them, what do you enjoy most about the holidays? The answers were A, decorating the house, B, spending time with family and relatives, C, receiving presents. What do you think the children said? They said B, overwhelmingly so. It has been and will always be about relationships and the love that is shown within our relationships. It's not about my pet monster or Street Fighter II or a hoverboard. It's about relationships, it's about love, it's about Jesus. He is the one that shows us what love is and what love does. This is what Christmas is about. The wait for Israel is over. And what they've been waiting for, he shows up, waiting and hoping and trusting for the God of the universe to step into humanity. That's what we're waiting for too. God, step in to our reality, step into our humanity, show us, lead us, save us, free us. Picture it this way, Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish theologian, tells the story of a prince who was running an errand for his father one day in the local village. And as he did so, he passed through a very poor section of the town. And looking through the windows of his carriage, he saw a beautiful young peasant girl walking along the street. He could not get his mind off of her or his heart off of her. He continued to come to town day to day just to see her, to, to feel as though he would be near her. His heart yearned for her, but there was a problem. How could he ever develop a relationship with her? He could order her to marry him, that was well within his rights, but he wanted this girl to love him for his heart. She, he wanted her to love him willingly. He wanted her to choose him. He could put on his royal garments and impress her with a royal entourage. He could drive up to her front door with soldiers and carriage and trumpets. But if he did this, he would never be certain that the girl loved him or was simply overwhelmed by his splendor and his grandiose power. The prince came up with another solution. As you may have guessed, he gave up his kingly robe and symbols of power and privilege, and he moved into the village dressed only as a peasant. He lived among the people, shared their interests and concerns, and talked their language. In time, the young peasant girl grew to know him, and she grew to love him. It's like the reverse Aladdin. This is what Jesus has done for us. He reverse Aladdined us. The word became flesh. The king of heaven put aside his heavenly robes, his divine prerogatives, and he came to us as one of us. He lived among us, ate with us, drank with us, felt with us, all to win our love, all to win you, all to win me. He could have forced us, he could have overwhelmed us, but he chose to romance us. This is the God of the universe. He stands here today with a smile of love and his arms extended. He is the God who became real so that we could experience his transforming love. Jesus is not just a truth to believe in, he's a person to be experienced here now. It's not just a tale, it's not a fable. 
No, it's real. What are you waiting for this Christmas? Because Jesus is waiting for you. Jesus is waiting for me to give all of ourselves, the parts of ourselves that we have held back for so long. While we wait for Jesus to invade our humanity, to, to, to show up in our story, to redeem us, he waits for us to fall in love with him in a greater way. What are you waiting for this Christmas? Because you are shaped by what you're waiting for. I'd like to close with this poem. If you had been a lowly shepherd who heard the angels sing, would you have left your sheep alone to find the baby king? If you had been the innkeeper, pressed and hurried since the dawn, would you have done the best you could or told them to move on? If you had been a wise man, due respect and courtly graces, would you have left it all behind to search in unknown places? We cannot know what we have done if we had been there then. We only know what we do now when chances come again. And we end our Christmas service with the great song, Silent Night. Merry Christmas, Prodigal Church. See